Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta says, pray for Victor, but Astros fans say, pray for McCullers. Jeremy Pena expresses his right to bear arms, and I don't mean the Second Amendment. Fangraphs projects the Yankees to have better World Series odds in 2023. Analytics, schmanalytics. Am I right, Jeff Bagwell? This is the part where we play the music. So if you know the words, sing along. It's episode 11 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome to Stone Cold Shows. I am Brandon Strange alongside SportsMap Houston senior content contributor, Charlie Palillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read him weekly on SportsMap.com. Next to him is SportsMap.com editor, Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. And you can listen to him Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on his show Moneyline on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. Charlie, Josh, welcome in. Well, extra juice to the open this week, Brandon. Feeling your oats. The birds are singing. The grass is coming in. Lance McCullers' arm is hurting. It must be spring training time. I'm feeling better than Lance McCullers, but it's probably just all that coffee. Uh, Guys, let's get right into it. We're going to do something a little different today since everyone's reporting to spring training. Yay. We're getting a lot of news, a lot of news, and it's virtually at every position. So I thought we'd do something a little fun where we just kind of go around the position this week. And then right as I thought, oh, that's such a good idea, we got some breaking news uh, right before we came on. And Josh, I'm going to let you uh, handle this because this is an update regarding uh, sign stealing from the Red Sox and Dodgers. And this came comes courtesy of the uh, LA Times. Yeah, so LA Times, Dylan Hernandez. We got some quotes uh, from you know the Dodgers guys. They showed up uh, at spring training like everybody else. So on Sunday, we got these quotes. And really, it's about... We've talked about this on the podcast that, that this uh, sign stealing guy from the Red Sox, JT Watkins, has now been hired by the Dodgers. A, a guy that helped steal signs is a guy that they are hiring for themselves. And I thought it was really interesting because a, a lot of these quotes from the book that Evan Drellich put out, people are not calling him a liar. They are not denying these claims. We basically have, you know, Mookie Betts. Uh, acknowledging that they they paid him under the table after he got suspended. I thought that was really interesting. The big one for me was from Clayton Kershaw. They asked him about the hiring of this JT Watkins guy. And his quote was, and this is the interesting one to me, it's the Dodgers. We know the Red Sox have been punished for, for using technology to steal signs. Dodgers, you know, we've heard accusations, but we haven't heard proof. Listen to Clayton Kershaw's quote about them hiring this guy. No matter what enhancements technology had back then, there needs to be a clear distinction between what the Astros did and what, wait for it, what everybody else did, Kershaw said. So, oh, all of a sudden now everybody else did it. Funny how that happens, you know, when when all this stuff comes to the surface just a week or two ago. We also have some quotes from Mookie Betts. He acknowledged that he was aware that his team was using the live video feeds to seal signs. Quote, yeah, Bet said Sunday, everybody was. In the 2018 regular season, Bet's claim the scheme was infrequently used. Sure it was. We're going to put it in place and get punished for it, but we're not going to use it. Every now and dot, 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 Bet started to say, it's kind of hard to remember. So as we see right here, he, he's he's acknowledging it, but he's, he's you know, kind of, 
holding it back a little bit, I guess, just so he, I guess, just to protect himself a little bit. So I find this very interesting for this part. We've been waiting for anybody to put their name on this stuff, right? That's the differentiation between Mike Fires and, and what the Astros did. You had somebody talking about it. Now you have Dodgers and Red Sox players saying, hey, everybody was doing it. You know, it didn't matter because don't lump us in with the Astros is what they're trying to say. It's still so different. And I'm just like, yeah, sure, it is a little bit different, but you're getting the signs with guys in scoring position like that didn't change the outcome of games. Give me a break. So people are finally starting to put their name on this stuff. I I bet it's not long before we get some more Dodgers players coming forward and, and letting the truth out. My default on this at this point is whatever, unless there's just an amazing revelation. You can look at it one of two ways. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You cheated or you didn't. The Astros were the most brazen at it, the best at it, the most successful at it. But if you're chucking stones from a glass house and all that, uh, on the other hand, you know, if you kill someone, there's a distinction between murder and manslaughter and voluntary and involuntary. So make it what you will. It's not going to change the record books. I think everyone can agree. Anyone who gets caught doing this type of stuff uh, going forward uh, should be banned from the game for being stupid enough to get caught. The best at it, the most effective at it, also the most clumsy at it were the Astros in in doing something, in having a scheme in which you could audibly trace back to the stealing happening. I mean, that's the whole John Boy thing, right, is he was able to put a super cut of video together to show when you heard the banging and what the pitch was. I think the problem is, is they're still using that separation of we didn't give it to batters in real time. That's really where this supposed line in the sand is, is getting the information to batters in real time, which is what the cat uh, trash can scheme or the whistling supposedly was. I just don't know that I'm, I'm so fatigued on this topic in general. And I don't, I'm, I am, I've resigned myself to the fact that the Astros are the scapegoats on this. The short of an, a Dodgers, or Red Sox player admitting that batters were getting the signs in real time. And even with that, I don't well, they know. were real time, technically, Brandon. It's just there was somebody on base. Exactly. There said there'd be somebody on base. And what the Astros were found to do or admitted to, I should say, was being able to relay it when there wasn't someone on second to relay those signs. I think this is something for us. I, I think you either you either understand the lay of the land here or you're going to have your head in the sand. And I think there's just going to be a good portion of the MLB audience that's just going to keep their heads in the sand. And short of someone really admitting to buzzers on Red Sox or Dodgers teams, I, I think people have made their judgments. They've moved on past it. Much like politics, right? You're dug into your side and that's your side and then you move on. Yeah, I, I just think it's... Uh... What's different is now everybody's story is everybody was doing it, but it wasn't as bad as the Astros, where it used to be, you know, just pearl clutching. Like, I can't believe this is going on. I've never heard of such a thing. Now the narrative is all everybody was doing it. So why are you looking at us? Well, speaking of pitching and signs, uh, let's go. Like I said, we were going to go around the diamond by position and kind of give an update because we have an avalanche of news that has hit 
this week. And so we just figured position by position, we'll just break this down, starting from the one spot, pitcher updates. Obviously, the big headline is Lance McCullers being shut down uh, from pitching in week one of spring training due to some general soreness. Now, he missed most of 2022 uh, due to right forearm issues, as we all remember. He played in, I believe, eight regular season games and three postseason games. And given his history, um, you know, the team will operate with an abundance of caution. Guys, what's your concern level of Lance McCullers already having arm issues? And I guess depending on what kind of load management we see, what opportunities uh, do you see this providing for other guys on the staff? Hunter Brown, come on down in the (laughs) rotation right out of the chute. I mean, who thinks McCullers is going to be ready to go opening day? Uh, you hope this is just minor soreness. We were told this last year, eh, no big deal, no big deal. And then five months later is the first time we see Lance McCullers on the mound. Uh, good news out of bad news, that only a fool would have put a whole bunch of eggs in the Lance McCullers basket to be a healthy 30-start, 175-inning workhorse to take up some of the slack from Justin Verlander's departure. On the other hand, he is a guy you were hoping to do that. Uh, but given the overall track record, right, Lance McCullers has never thrown the 162 innings in a season necessary to qualify for the, the ERA title. Came very close and then immediately had his arm fall off. Um, it's, it's a bummer for Lance other than on the 1st and the 15th, right, $17 million this season and for three more years on the five-year $85 million extension, at least the way it counts on the book, $17 million per year. So you just cross your fingers if you're an Astros fan, an Astro, Lance McCullers Jr., but Dusty Baker saying, don't make much of this. Hey, for uh, the back half of February, before we even get to spring training games, this is a major story, especially given a guy who's been Humpty Dumpty, who's fallen down repeatedly and had to be put back together again. You'd be uh, goofy to uh, not be concerned with Lance's health and whether he'll be ready to go opening day. And if he's not, or if it's going to be another multi-month thing, uh, this is the immediate trickle-down effect of losing Justin Verlander, right? There was zero chance. I'm going to never say never, guy. There's a zero chance the Astros going to replace Verlander's innings with a 175 ERA. But the quality and the depth, it's not like the rotation was in tatters by losing Verlander. But if McCullers turns out to be down for a, a longer uh, form injury and Hunter Brown doesn't tear it up immediately or another guy, goes down. The Astros otherwise had pretty darn good health in their rotation last season. Well, uh, after Hunter Brown, as mm, Whitley, Brandon Belak, you know, organization type guys. So this is where things can get tenuous, where the Astros, obviously a phenomenal all-around team to win the World Series, but the backbone of the ball club last year was the pitching staff, starting pitching and rotation. And they're uh, having a little bit of a back problem down Verlander. And now we'll see on Lance. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because of the history we've seen with McCullers, but I'm not going to freak out yet. I mean, it's still February. You know, the Astros GM said, you know, he's not alarmed at all. They're just taking it day by day. A little bit of soreness that that can happen They're They're getting back into the swing of things and. I just I see crazy stuff in the comments section on our social media pages, especially on Facebook, you know, stuff like, oh, trade McCullers for an outfielder. And it's just ridiculous. Guys, he's not getting traded. You don't trade him. Hey, you're not trading him. Why would you trade McCullers? He's a he's a good pitcher. I think he'll be fine. Second, you're not going to trade him when his value's down, when he's hurt. You're not going to get the return you want. And by the way, I took a look on spot track. He has a no trade clause. So, you know, just 
you know, get used to it. Lance is going to be here, and I, I think he's going to be fine. I'm, I'm not worried. Let's go, Lance. Let's get healthy. They're going to need him this year. And to Charlie's point, yeah, Hunter Brown, they, we might see him a little sooner than we thought. I did a video with John Granado last week saying that, you know, the Astros start with eight games in a row to start the season. We thought they'd kind of baby McCullers' elbow a little bit anyway, even before this news, maybe the way they did with Verlander last year. So I was predicting we could see Hunter Brown as soon as the first week of the season before we got the McCullers news. I just think that it makes it even more likely now that Hunter Brown's going to be a big piece. Keep in mind, Christian Javier was tapped to to start games in, in April last year. He started 25 games last year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar for Hunter Brown. I think what's interesting about it is uh, for opportunities for some of these uh, marginal guys like Seth Martinez, some guys who, you know, kind of on the fringe who Martinez kind of bounced up and down last year and the limited exposure we saw of him, Martinez looked pretty good. So I think a, a guy like Martinez, you mentioned Forrest Whitley. We've seen Forrest at, uh, at spring training throwing. He talked about how he kind of got shut down at the end of last season for some uh, soreness in his lats, but he says he's back healthy again. Uh, he's, I believe, 25 now. So I know he got drafted eight years ago, which seems like an eternity, and it is, uh, at least in, in the baseball world. But what could the bounce back, what what kind of trajectory might we see on him being able to kind of hit rock bottom, if you will, and bounce back and get an opportunity? I'm still here for that story if it plays out. And while we're on the one position, we got a little head fake this week because uh, MLB insider Hector Gomez broke on Twitter that Fromber Valdez could sign an extension by opening day. Fromber's side was reportedly looking for $100 million or up. Uh, Chandler Rome quickly had a rebuttal from Fromber's agent saying that they haven't talked extension yet. And that seemed to fly in the face of a, uh, that seemed to fly in the face of a John Morosi update where he said that uh, Dana Brown had told him they had been in negotiations in recent weeks with both Tucker and Valdez's representation. So I can understand an agent shooting down a report, but to say the two sides haven't even talked, that seems a little sus. Well, the idea that the Astros would commit $150 million right now to Framber Valdez is ridiculous. So if that's what the agent is shooting down, as opposed to that there haven't been any talks, uh, Dana Brown, the Astros have no reason to make up that they would uh, have been in talks. Why antagonize the player if that's just completely untrue? So as we discussed some uh, last time out of the box with Christian Javier getting five years, $64 million, and Fromber having a longer resume, you'd figure that would be the floor if you were going to say for a five-year contract for Fromber. But 64 to 150 is quite the wide gulf. Uh, unless Fromber is interested in a 12-year contract at $150 million to cover the rest of his career. So it's easy for anyone to pitch a number out there. If it turns out to be tr true, then, well, pass the crow. But if it was, if it was $150 million, I mean, would the Astros consider an eight-year contract for $150 million? Fromber's three years away from free agency. So the idea of, well, what Carlos Rodon got from the Yankees in the offseason is irrelevant to what Fromber would get in extension covering a five- or six-year period along the lines of Rodon right now. I just wonder how the McCullers news could change the way the organization looks at Fromber and pitchers in general. You know, they, they got bit by Verlander. He did deliver a couple World Series, sure, but 
He also got paid a lot of money to not pitch a lot of games as well. That was part of the story. It, McCullers, we know his history. You just wonder if they're like, yeah, maybe I'd rather invest in a position player. These these pitchers, you know, arm injuries, that's always a factor. So I wonder if that can make an impact moving forward here. McCullers, five years, $85 million signed at the start of what could have been his free agent season. Well, Fromber has the better resume than Lance did when he signed in terms of having pitched a full season, a 201-inning season uh, a year ago as a, as a major league starter. So if they were to work it out, again, I find 150 preposter- uh, preposterous. But if the Astros were willing to go to, say, five years, 100 mil, uh, I would recommend Fromber accept. Well, I, Josh, to your point about you know JV's contract biting them, that first extension did. It obviously didn't scare off Crane from extending JV again, and that contract ended up being b- very beneficial. And I guess playing devil's advocate, maybe this contract doesn't actually look too punitive to them. But as we were talking beforehand, you made the point of you'll be able to tell after this year if the decision to extend him and whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision will start to come into focus that much more. It feels that way, but it just depends on how this year goes. And we don't, like you said, we don't know anything yet. He could be fine, you know, ready to go early in the year, have a terrific season. We just don't know. But yeah, you're right. That'll be the the determining factor where so much time is missed that you can't see it as a, you know, just unfortunate because at, at the amount they got him for, the, the injury risk was kind of baked in to your point. So, you know, that's not a big issue for me, but you know, Jim Crane, he typically he'll pay those big contracts, but not the long ones with pitchers. We don't see that very often. We see it with Altuve got a pretty long deal. Bregman did. But as far as pitchers, you know, Verlander was on a prove it deal on this most recent one. And, and the other ones weren't long contracts. They were just a, a lot per year. So it seems like that might be kind of how they do business. This Christian Javier deal is it's kind of an exception, you know, we're seeing here where they're signing him early to a lot of years, but the money's not so much to where it kills you if it doesn't go well. And a quick correction on Lance. He actually just nudged over 162 innings in 2021 after signing the extension that spring. But just building on what Josh was talking about, right? He missed all of 2019, Tommy John, then made the the limited starts in 2020. And off that, they gave him the extension. Then he had his his biggest workload season in 2021, which then cost him the first two-thirds of 2022. The injury risk is just higher. Uh, it's it's baseball Russian roulette with pitchers, much more so than with the quote-unquote position players, the every the everyday guys. And it's just part of the price of, of playing poker. right? You risk-reward, uh, certainly a guy with an injury history. If a team chooses to try to insure the contract, well, your premiums are going to be much higher. Um, but where the Astros are organizationally, as always, it's not our money. I mean, trickle down, the fans pay for all this stuff. Um, but if the numbers are right on Fromber, you know, he's making not quite seven this year, so two more years of salary arbitration. If he was to go to, say, 13, 14 next year, and then the low 20s the year after that, five years, $100 million would be adding in the range of two years, $55 million, uh, of fresh money. And ding, ding, that's at the Radon rate. Uh, so if you were wanting to go out to five years, Certainly, there's plenty of haggle room between Javier 64 and uh, 150 that uh, whoever floated out. I guess the report is that Fromber is looking for a $150 million contract. Well, aren't we all? 
Yeah. Well, he's he's close to 30 and a heavy curveball pitcher. I, I, I don't see, to Josh's point, I don't see this being one of those opportunities or where Jim Crane can get uh, him on the cheap. If you're Fromber and you're pitching like an ace and you're seeing what guys like DeGrom are getting on the open market, and, and, and not that he's a DeGrom, but I mean, he is a, a bona fide ace and he proved it last year by you know, pitching the entirety of the season and then into the postseason. If, if I'm him, I don't think it's in my best interest unless Dana Brown gets really creative with a contract. Am I wrong in that curveball pitcher, 30 years old? Uh, one distinction I would draw, Fromber, he's a pretty easy, obviously he's putting in maximum effort, but McCullers, you can you can see the the torque mm-hmm. uh, as he throws. And, and maybe this is a little bit of 2020 hindsight, knowing that he's had arm injury after arm injury. Uh, but Fromber's free and easy. Uh, look, my longer term concern with Fromber would be the weight. Uh, where you can start having knee problems if you're if you're carrying a little much in the boiler as a, as a long term proposition. Uh, but he strikes me as a guy who, if you're gonna if you're gonna place a, a longer term bet on a starting pitcher, I'd be comfortable with the dollars right on Fromber. And you know, Alex Bregman wanted that 100 million. He wanted the nine figure contract, and he took the five years 100. I don't know what Fromber's looking at. Uh, 6.8 million this year. If you go year to year. You know, I think part of being a great athlete is until you're proven to not be bulletproof, you think you're bulletproof. So as Fromber consider it all or Team Fromber, they say, hey, you know, what happens if you blow your arm out by, uh, like Lance McCullers? You know, he had $85 million guaranteed, so obviously he wants to pitch and be worth that and, and more in a future contract. But he has $85 million to fall back on if he never threw another pitch. Fromber hasn't made that major, major bank yet. Not that $6.8 is pauper wages or anything, but that's not generational wealth. Uh, so if it's a deal that he's comfortable with, I'm sure Dana Brown's going to make him an offer, given the MO in Atlanta and already locking down Christian Javier. And then uh, where's Kyle Tucker in all this after, I guess, getting his butt kicked in salary arbitration when you settle for $5 million, 50% less than your ask? Well, speaking of boilers... Uh, let's move on to the number two position, the squatty potty, if you will. Martin Maldonado, who showed up to Florida 17 pounds lighter this spring. Uh, Maldi was a sad panda after playing through two injuries to guide the best staff in baseball to a World Series last year because they were looking to replace him. And what do you guys think of this emote by Maldi? I mean, he's up in his feelings a little bit. We've talked about this a, a tad, but... You know, I have a quote here from him that he said he, he knew the fans weren't happy about his batting average, which was 186 last year. He said, I understand that, but I hit 15 homers, career high, 45 RBI, career high. He said, I was just a little disappointed in some fans that they were a little more against me than they were excited about getting Contreras. So, you know, I certainly understand that. You know, you pointed out he put his body on the line for the team and for the fans and for himself. He's getting paid, obviously. So, I understand that he feels this way, but you're a professional, you're hitting 186 and there's, you know, a top of the market catching option that, that could be, you know, an avenue for the team to, to, to go down. Fans are going to get excited about that kind of stuff. So, but we know how toxic social media can be. Maybe people were a little more negative about him than they were positive about Contreras. Unfortunately, that's just kind of the times we live in. And if you want to extend your career, be a little bit better player and dropping, what'd you say, 17 pounds? 
if you you keep it off and you're a little fresher and you move a little bit better behind the plate, right? Did lead the league in past balls, and it's not like he throws out 75% of, of opposing would-be base dealers. Uh, so yeah, in your feelings, right? 20, 2023 term. Uh, in the end, the Astros were not gonna go pay Contreras five years, 87 and a half million. And they didn't bring in competition even from the outside. It's the, the Diaz Lee catch-off. So uh, if you wanted to vent a little, that's okay. But among the nine players in the Astros lineup, he's the ninth best guy. Pounds can go down. Averages can go up. But age goes one direction. And I, I will say that I, I don't understand uh, the emotion here. And granted, I also am not in his DMs and reading his mentions. So that might have a little something to do with it as well. But they let Christian Vasquez walk. And Vasquez signed for three years, $30 million, which is a very affordable deal for a very good catcher, one of the best catchers in the AL, if not the game itself, who proved himself at the highest level, had big hits and big games, and yet the Astros didn't bring him back, presumably because they were going to you know, split time at the position because they wanted to retain Maldi. So if that is the case, I don't really understand where the sentiment comes from because if they were looking to just bury him, they could have. They literally could have just brought Christian Vasquez back, and I think Vasquez would have been happy to take the opportunity English as a second language, right? In, in Martin Maldonado's case. So I would allow for the possibility that the connotation, the tone, you know, might it map exactly to what he meant to say and what he was feeling uh, versus his, his native tongue. Um, so if his feelings were hurt a little bit, I would expect it to have zero carryover into the season. Because, frankly, if he wants to continue his career beyond 2023, he needs to have a pretty good year. And uh, look at that. In a contract year, he showed up in better shape. Imagine. Yeah. We saw Yuli drop the weight a couple of years ago. It Bullseye. seemed to work the first year. Last year, didn't have a great regular season, but he was great in the postseason. So, yeah, that's nothing new. We see guys in contract years come in and in great shape. That's Hey, it's smart business. If you want to go make some more money, have a great year, get in shape. The offseason can get you ready. It's it's just when you see bodies change too much to where you're like, you might be tinkering with stuff a little too much. You see that in the NFL a lot with running backs that put on, you know, like an extra 20 pounds of muscle and then they don't have the same burst the next year. You know, Maldi, that's clearly not going to be the case. Well, moving on to the next position. Well, and there's really not an update here, so I don't even have a card in here uh, for this. This is uh, for first base. There's really no update with the Brayu, and uh, unfortunately for Yuli Gurriel, there is no update for Yuli. But let's move on to the uh, – we'll do a combo here, a 4-5 position, uh, second base and third with uh, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. Chandler Rome says uh, – well, I mean, everyone reported this. This was from Jada Brown's quote. He said that both Bregman and Jose Altuve should retire here. Jose Altuve says, I hope to retire here. Oh, well, that settles it. That's That sounds good to me. Um, just that easy, right? Dana Brown saying a lot of the right things right out of the gate, right? Yeah, the shocker would have been if Dana Brown said, Altuve, Bregman, well, whatever happens, happens. Uh, so you have two great players still uh, – in Altuve's case, close to the the peak of his powers, Bregman maybe to have a, a full season this year that takes him back 
to the peak of his powers, 2018, 2019. So, uh, you know, everything's, everything's great right now. Uh, Bregman, the, the process intrigues him. Well, yeah, you get to the open market. That's, that's where the bidding gets, gets cranked in earnest. So uh, each guy with two years left on a contract, uh, the ages are notable. Bregman will be 30. Altuve will be 34. So that obviously impacts the link you'd be willing to go with and what's the state of the team two years from now, right? Altuve, of course, you want him to play out his career here. Of course, you want him to get to 3,000 hits here. But a distinction, we're in this uh, golden era might not even be good enough anymore. This platinum era Mm -hmm. of Astros baseball, Well, if the window remains open another three, five, seven years, you're not going to run a a little bit of a one-man marketing operation built around Altuve. And yeah, you get to uh, lead off every day, even if you're not a good player anymore. 2007 Astros sucked. Craig Biggio wasn't a good player anymore, but it was all about countdown 3,000. And you know, the 2007 Astros drew more fans than the 2017 Astros. Then the 2018 Astros, you typically get the bounce the year after the uh, team wins the World Series. Uh, last year's Astros drew more than 300,000 fewer fans than the 2007 Stink Bomb Astros. I mean, Craig Biggio made $9 million that year. He should have got a bonus beyond that. Uh, Clemens had an attendance clause in his contract. Biggio probably should still be collecting royalties from that 2007 season. Uh, but the Astros, because they were awful. They went 73 and 89. So it was all about Bidge and Countdown 3000 and the banner every time he had a hit that they changed that. Uh, you, you can't run a team that way if you're good and trying to win. So when Altuve is 38, 39 years old, is he, is he still going to be uh, a plus hitter? Right? A great hitter would seem unlikely. Uh, the bat, as is now, certainly could play as a DH. 38, 39-year-old second baseman are not good second basemen. Um, so, you know, if it's to have Altuve retire as an Astro, I'm not extending him five years at $30 million per year when he's going to be 35, 36, 37, 38, 39 years old. Whereas Bregman, all right, five years takes him to 35, which is probably a little longer than you'd like. But you look at this offseason, I think two years from now, how many of those contracts might already be looking terrible for the teams that signed him? Um, so, uh, you know, if I was going to bet, I would bet that Altuve's next contract is with the Astros. Bregman, I'm a little bit more curious about because of the point in his career when he can get to market. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Both of these guys took a little less to, to, to stay where they wanted to stay and to, to get paid a little earlier. So you wonder if Bregman will see it a little differently. Like, all right, here's my chance to, to to get the biggest deal I can get now. I already took a little less, or maybe he just loves playing here and, and you know, he'll, he'll, he'll continue to take a little less. Same with L2, but we just don't know. There's love. And then there's love. Uh, Manny Machado's already on record. You know, five years, 150 million left on his deal with the Padres after this season. Oh yeah. I'm opting out. Well, if he has a crappy 2023, he might change his mind on that, but if Machado has a big year, opts out 30 going to 31 years old, well, there's a template for Bregman. One year away from free agency, Machado, who's been a better player than Bregman over the last couple of years, well, Bregman reflips that script. So uh, it's a story that's certainly a talking point, especially before we've even gotten to spring training games. But if neither Altuve nor Bregman does an extension by the All-Star break, I wouldn't be fretting about it.
No, this is very different than how Click was doing things. You know, he came in and didn't do a whole lot his first year. To be fair, that was 2020, you know, you know, throw that out a little bit, you know, with with all the craziness that happened that year. But, you know, he kind of waited until the next year to make some moves and sign some guys. Whereas look at Dana Brown. He's aggressive. I mean, has he talked about a guy he doesn't want to sign? I started thinking about this. I'd love to see all these guys come back, but is it really realistic that you can pay Fromber and you can extend Altuve and Bregman and, and Kyle Tucker? And, you know, is that, is that something that you can really accomplish? You know, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Do we think, I guess if, if it means, well, kind of looking at the farm system, there seems to be an abundance of outfielders that are in the system. I don't know where they stand with, uh, plus infielders that are ready to to come up through the system. So I wonder how much that will impact how much they want to keep or, or, you know, retain Alex Bregman. And then I guess the other part of it too, is if it means not being able to extend Tucker or from, or are, are you guys who, who out of those three, you know, because those are the guys who I think are, are kind of eminently interesting uh, as far as extension conversations go, you guys rather have Bregman, Fromber, or Tuck? Well, Tucker would be the youngest of the the threesome when he can get to free agency. Uh, but boy, uh, four and a half, five tool outfielders are not easily found, though outfielders and sluggers are more easily found than all around stud third baseman. And against that backdrop, you have, well, it all starts with pitching. Um, what does Drew Gilbert become over the next couple of years? Last season's first round draft choice. So if he is a riser and you're comfortable with him, 2025, he better be making his debut in the major leagues by then. Uh, and you know, you have Jordan over the next three years and Gilbert's established as a viable major league center fielder as Tucker is going to market. And you think you have two thirds of the outfield covered. Well, then maybe you prioritize extending uh, Bregman over over Tuck. Um, in the case of Fromber, what other pitching rises in the next couple of years? Uh, is there further growth for Luis Garcia? I think Jose, Jose Arquiti is probably about where he is. Uh, but when you're looking for depth of rotation two, three years out, that's a tough call. And what work does Dana Brown do over these next couple of drafts? Because to what you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago, Brandon, the Astros are pretty bereft of infield prospects of note at this point. Uh, Jeremy Pena was the, the last guy to, to get to the bigs. Hadn't been a concern because, well, Altuve and Bregman continue to have a half of it locked down and presumably Pena now covers shortstop for the next bunch of years. Um, but, you know, Joe Perez maybe at third base, but they don't have any quote-unquote position players who are elite prospects. Uh, Gilbert, just by nature of being their most recent first-round pick, is, uh, I guess, the best hope. Right? Jacob Melton, some might buy into his upside a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's going to be a down phase at some point for the Astros. How far down, how soon? Fortunately, it doesn't look like it should be at any point soon. I think the answer for me is probably more what I think the Astros are thinking, and it's Fromber. They are so focused on pitching. I mean, you saw what they gave Montero this offseason, what they've been willing to give to Verlander after injury. Now you're getting these signs that, uh-oh, maybe maybe McCullers is going to have a, another season where he, he misses some time. Hopefully that's not the case, but, you know, he's a little sore right now. Javier, I mean, he's had 
you know, one really good season. And like Charlie mentioned, Urquidy, we've probably kind of seen what he is. Garcia, you know, who knows? He's still got a lot of upside, but these new rules could could mess with him a little bit. So they have so much talent as far as the Astro system in the outfield. That's where most of their top prospects are. There's not a lot of top pitching prospects, you know, outside of Hunter Brown, who's probably going to be your sixth starter this year. So he's he's already going to be there, and we don't know what he's going to be. So based on how much they value pitching, you know, as risky as it can be, Fromber might be the one they, they choose to go with. When why wouldn't they prioritize pitching, considering what we watched in the postseason last year when their offense failed them, when they failed to score a single run through 17 innings uh, in one game, it was pitching that really held them down. It was Luis Garcia coming in and pitching five scoreless in relief, a bullpen that could hold a lead. How valuable was that? Sometimes the bats go cold, but if you can keep the game close with your arms and then trust some of your clutch bats, that was a complete winning formula for them in 2023. And one of those clutch bats is at shortstop, Jeremy Pena. He uh, showed up to spring training like he bought tickets to the gun show, guys. Uh, This is from Talking Baseball. They said his uh, triceps were the size of the World Series trophy. I also saw another tweet from Jared Carabas where he compared the triceps on Pena to the upper leg of a thoroughbred horse. What are your takeaways from seeing Jeremy Pena look like he's ready to compete in Mr. Universe? Uh, I'm not going to say I'm worried about it, but I'm curious about it. Right, shortstop, not that you, you'd be 160-pound, dripping wet, weakling guys who populated the position in the 60s and the 70s for the most part, but you still want your most lithe and flexible and least prone to have soft tissue injuries, guys, uh, in, in your infield. Um, frankly, I thought he looked a little bit too massive. Um, maybe spring training for him is for, for toning and playing baseball as opposed to lifting, and some of that will naturally come off. Of course, photo angle and all that type of stuff. Uh, but that uh, it's a Sports Illustrated cover, geez, 25 years ago now of Nomar Garcia Parra, where, well, I don't think most people believe Nomar was, was natural at the time, but it looked unnatural just as a, as a baseball player, certainly for a shortstop, but Jeremy Pena off last postseason has the world by the tail. So he can take it into the season. And if he's not hitting, will it be because he's overly bulked up or no, because he's not disciplined enough at the plate and the league is adjusted to him and, uh, but he's huge. <laughs> he is massive. I, I wonder, I think he hit 22 home runs last year. I, I got to think that over under has got to be going up right now. I know Barstool sports picked up the story and ran with it. And we're like, uh, you know, as we're writing this MLBs probably testing Jeremy Pena. So he's, he's going to get a lot of attention about it, but I mean, he was, you know, ripped and in great shape last year. So I, you know, he maybe looks a little bigger because of the camera angle here, but but this guy's that's what he what he has been for a while. So he's just doing curls all winter with his postseason hardware. <laughs> Clearly, it seems like it. So I don't know. We'll see. We've seen some people go the other way, right? With all the Tom Brady and the plyometrics, and you know, maybe you want to be a little more flexible to 
if you have to throw for a living, which clearly Pena has to do that. But, man, he looked great last year. I'm not going to question him. I, Brandon, I thought you had a good point about maybe Bagwell could impart some wisdom on him from his experiences if you want to get into that a little bit. Well, I just I know Bagwell has talked about this a couple of times and, and after post-retirement said that one of the biggest regrets of his career was concentrating on the bodybuilding aspect of his, of, you know, of, of his body and training and, you know, blames that on the early exit because of all of the wear and tear it put on the shoulder. And so I, I do wonder if Bagwell being around and, you know, being someone who's a, a voice to these guys could, you know, maybe be a little bit of an influence and just say, Hey, you know, like, like, you know, muscles are nice and, and looking great's nice as well, but you know, longevity is better. And that's somebody who can speak to it firsthand His career cut short. And again, he, he blames bodybuilding on that. Now, granted, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything, you know, uh, untoward without knowing any facts, but I think there's a contingent of the fan base who believes that maybe some of Bagwell's uh, exploits were uh, chemically induced, if not assisted or supplemented. But, um, and, and obviously we're knocking on wood. That's not the case here, but yeah, I, I think that it is a concern. It's the first thing I thought of. The first thing I thought of when I saw that giant tricep was Bagwell's kind of, you know, quotes kind of ringing through my ears. Just the fact that he really uh, regretted going so heavy on the weights and Josh, you mentioned it. A guy like Tom Brady, who concentrates on the flexibility, the the the, the plyometrics of of you know doing a lot of resistance training, not necessarily weight training, so that you avoid all the wear and tear on the joints. That that would be the only thing. But that is that's the negative side of it. I'd say the positive side of it is if he continues to get opportunities in the two hole, in which he's seeing fastballs ahead of Jordan Alvarez, then yeah, you may see a spike in those home runs, so I can't wait to see it. Um, and let's, I guess, moving on around uh, the diamond, we get to left field with uh, Michael Brantley. Uh, Michael Brantley says he's progressing well in his shoulder rehab. He was taking grounders at first. As a matter of fact, Dusty Baker said that's not something they're looking to do. Guess how positive or how optimistic are you feeling about uh, Michael Brantley being able to return and, and hit the ground running when the season starts? Um, I'm good with letting nature take its course. It's not like the Astros lineup is hinging upon Michael Brantley answering the bell opening day. Taking grounders at first is probably just shorter jogging out to first than going all the way out to outfield to shag flies on, on a daily basis. But if he says he's feeling good and there have been no setbacks, but until we see him against live pitching in games, uh, February is a time to be optimistic unless you have blatant reasons to not be. So why not be glass half full on Brantley? Yeah, uh, he said he's impressed where his swing is right now. So hey, that's a good sign. I mean, <laughs> we know how good a hitter Brantley is. And if he's feeling that good about it now, then then great. He may not be ready for some of these first spring training games. Who cares? Take your time. That's not important. But we'll see if he's ready to get going. I I wonder, I'll pose this. Who do you think is more likely to to you know make an appearance this season? You think McCullers or Brantley? Opening day this season or this yeah. season this season? Yeah, just not opening day per se, but just who's going to be on the field first? I'll go Brantley. 
Yeah, I, I I don't even think it's a, a question, honestly. I like well, I mean, obviously the question. I I I think as far as likelihood, uh, who who's available more? I'd say it's I I'm hoping it's Brantley, but I, yeah, I, I think it's Brantley. I think just because we're already seeing him do things, and one one player is doing something right now, and the other one's completely shut down. So that's my gauge. And again, you know, this could be on the McCullers thing. And we hope it is just out an abundance of caution due to his history, but the Astros don't get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to giving health updates, unfortunately, just because of the, uh, you know, the wild goose chase we got with information on Brantley last year and what they kept telling us about McCullers when it turned out to be in the background, they were really secretly thinking about surgery on his forearm. They didn't know whether he'd be able to return without it. And with Brantley saying, oh, yeah, James Click saying, oh, yeah, he'll definitely be back. And then he definitely wasn't. He had to have surgery. And I can't imagine that's something that they thought was just going to magically heal. They had to know that's where he was at as far as his uh, progress in rehab. But they chose not to share that. So I don't know where McCullers is at realistically. I just know, given with my eyes, one guy is in camp and looks like he's ready to ramp up to play and the other guy we're not even we're not even week one or this is week one of spring training and the other guy is already shut down. So I'll go with uh, I'll go with Brantley on that answer. And as we make it around the uh, the outfield here, we get to Chaz McCormick. Uh, well, Chaz McCormick and also by extension kind of Drew Gilbert. Chaz McCormick originally said that he felt like the centerfield position was his to lose. Dusty Baker said you know, Hey, not so fast. He, you know, he's going to, there's going to be competition out there. Dana Brown kind of went a little step further. He says he's challenging Drew Gilbert to come up and compete and to win that center field job. Uh, so that is, that's pretty, that's pretty aggressive. And I, and we talked about it on the show. Chaz certainly hasn't locked that down because he's, while he's a very productive hitter uh, against lefties, he's uh, not as gifted from the, uh, from the right-hand standpoint, so, uh, guys, what do you think about these comments about Chaz, about there being competition, and about Dana Brown's challenge for Drew Gilbert to uh, come and take that center field spot? What do you think about that? Well, I'm all for it. Uh, some call it rushing prospects. I don't subscribe to that at all, unless it's a guy who's shown he can't play and you're still forcing him along. Uh, failure, you know, baseball is a failure sport, right? You make outs two-thirds of the time if you're great. Um, so if you throw Gilbert into the deep water a little bit and he's flailing and you need to pull him back to the shallow end, that's fine. Uh, let him learn specifically what he needs to work on or where he might be overmatched. Conversely, whoa, what if this guy's ready to pass, go collect 200 and be a natural platoon component, right? In the off season name game from Benintendi to Brian Reynolds with the pirates, Someone to job share with McCormick, who uh, was a treasure against left-handed pitching and trash against right-handed pitching uh, in general terms. So Gilbert, as a first-round draft choice from a major pedigreed program at Tennessee in the best college baseball conference in the country, right? it shouldn't be four years for him to get to the major leagues if he's going to be the truth. Right. He's already 22. And it may have been here last week that I said, obviously, there are all kinds of exceptions given more than 21,000 players in history of Major League Baseball. But most of your really, really good players 
are forcing their way to the big leagues when they're 21, 22 years of age. Now you need to cut a little slack on that with a college guy who's getting drafted at 21 or 22 years of age after, after, after three years in school. But given the uh, lack of other notable alternatives, uh, Pedro owns a right-handed hitter and he's hurt. Um, Melton's more of a, maybe an upside flyer, but Gilbert was drafted to become the Astros next leadoff hitter and center fielder. So if he's able to force the hand on that at all, you know, even if it's just starting the year in double a, and he tears it up to become a candidate to make the jump to the major leagues the second half of this season. I think that would be fantastic, first and foremost, for Drew Gilbert, but for the Astros and lineup balance, unless McCormick, who's not a young guy, he could still make a leap. But I would say the odds are against Chaz McCormick becoming an elite against all pitchers type everyday center fielder. So if Gilbert can ramrod his way into the picture, that is what you call a win-win for, I guess, all other than maybe Chaz McCormick. Yeah, that, that would be great. He he dealt with that dislocated elbow last year. So they say he's 100% healthy, ready to go. We know Jake Myers you know, had that shoulder injury, didn't look like he was ready to come back. But they seem to be looking to replace Chaz McCormick for a while now. So this doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that Dana Brown's looking more <laughs> at Gilbert instead of at Jake Myers, you know, higher pedigree. So I get it. Younger guy, maybe he can come in and make a difference, but you know, if you're McCormick writings on the wall, man, you better perform or they're going to replace you. Yeah. And, and that was something that I took away from it too. Also, Josh, which was, he was challenging uh, Drew Gilbert to take that spot. He didn't say he's challenging Jake Myers to take that spot. So I think that does speak to where they see uh, those two guys on the pecking order or maybe probability of that actually happening. But there is Jake Myers is out there. We did see what he looked like prior to that shoulder injury in the White Sox series. He did look like an up and coming uh, major league player, but he has taken a substantial setback. Uh, the competition's really good for this team. And the real question is, is will Dusty Baker play the person who actually wins that competition? Because we do remember the history of Miles Straw having to be traded away because Dusty refused to play Chaz McCormick, even though Chaz was outplaying him on the field. Granted, that was due to what they called, you know, or, you know, the defensive advantages of, of Miles Straw being out there. Uh, but I don't think you're going to convince any Astros player after the World Series last year that Chaz McCormick is a defensive liability in the outfield, especially after uh, game uh, five, I believe that was. So uh, I guess rounding out the outfield, uh, let's get to Kyle Tucker. He spoke with the media about his failed arbitration hearing. Uh, he said the outcome really wasn't what they were hoping for. He thought he presented a good case said it was a little disappointing hearing what the Astros had to say, but uh, said that uh, he enjoys uh, playing here, enjoys playing for the Astros. And that was in regards to asking whether his, you know, he felt like the relationship was hurt based on uh, this arbitration hearing. Uh, guys, do you, I'm going to ask you what you think. Is, is this a, uh, are we starting to see uh, the first signs of uh, this relationship between the Astros and, and Kyle Tucker starting to uh, chip away. I just think this is the system. You know, a couple of other guys got 2 million under what they sought in Kyle Tucker's case, though, the difference five versus seven and a half, as opposed to 
Teoscar Hernandez in Seattle, 14 million versus 16 million. So it's probably more a, a jolting loss for Kyle Tucker. The players overall got their butts kicked in salary arbitration this year. I think it's 13 6 in favor of the owners. So this is now the next time collective bargaining talks coming up. But how do we uh, address this? Owners, you don't want players' uh, salary arbitration anymore? Okay, how about a salary cap? There's four more years in the labor deal, at least. Um, so if there are hard feelings, I would suspect they are short-lived. And if Kyle Tucker has a big year next year, he goes and asks for $11, 12000000 million. And the year after that, $19, million, $21 And then he become, can become a, a free agent. But Kyle Tucker and the Astros, you know, I don't think this is a, a forced marriage at this point or anything like that. But there's three more years before Kyle can seek divorce if he wants. I was kind of surprised that he said, you know, he didn't think it was right, you know, as far as the, the decision that was ultimately made to, to give him the five million. Most of the websites, people that project this kind of stuff, they were all saying it looked like his number would be closer to what the Astros were offering him. So I guess maybe his agent is the one telling him that. I will say that Dana Brown talked about it, that he's he's in contact with Kyle Tucker's agent, known him a long time, that the relationship's fine. He doesn't anticipate any issues there. But Tucker did say a few times, you know, about, you know, staying here long term. I don't want to guarantee anything. You know, we'll listen, that kind of stuff. I guess it's just kind of how you want to spin it, right? If you're an, an optimistic person, you're like, oh, I don't want to guarantee anything. Maybe a deal's close. Or maybe he's just kind of sidestepping the question because, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to go to free agency. So really only Tucker and his agent know that. Perhaps the Astros have an idea, but I just kind of think it's a, how you want to read between the lines here when you listen to these quotes. And, you know, if you're smart, if you're Tucker, you don't want to say, oh, yeah, we're really close. I want to be an Astro for the rest of my life. You don't want to say anything that's going to give somebody else an edge. You, you don't want to lose anything by coming out and, and being too assertive. I think you do want to kind of ride the fence there if you're Kyle Tucker to to give yourself the best chance to to get the money that you believe you deserve. The wound is fresh. This was his first time speaking with the media since uh, taking the L. Um, and the nature of the process that if you go through the hearing and goes to a, that it's either or. And we don't hear, ever hear from the, the arbitrators on the three-person panel who issues the ruling. If Tucker had asked for 6.75, would he have won? We don't know. So they went with seven and a half. They lost. No pity party necessary. If Kyle Tucker keeps hanging big seasons on the wall, he'll get that big bag in due time. It's a couple things to keep in mind. One is that uh, Christian Javier and the team were not in agreement on his arbitration ever. And then that turned into a contract extension. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Two is we definitely have a case study for how these things can go south very recently with Corbin Burns and the Brewers, definitely some hurt feelings on the other side of that. Uh, whereas, you know, Tucker said that it was, it was uncomfortable hearing what the Astros had to say, but Burns came out and basically with scorched earth without going scorched earth. And I guess he felt like the Brewers basically blamed him partially for not making the postseason, which was hard for him to hear. Uh, I got to go back to, and again, this is a different regime, but I got to go back to Carlos Correa's comments in 2019 about his arbitration case with the Astros. One of the first things he said when it was over with was that the Astros were very professional throughout the process. So the Astros do have history and kind of negotiating through this. 
And uh, so far, does it seem to be any bad blood through this? So it's it's a very uh, it's a very tough thing to to do where you're make you're pitting two sides one another, and you you know that the other side's going to you're ultimately be stuck with you anyway. This is just a matter of what's the compensation going to be. And you have to make a case against your own player. That's not necessarily something that is uh, something that I think spurs good feelings naturally. So having to make a case against somebody and then having to welcome them back into spring training can certainly be something in which it can be a little bit delicate, but it seems as if the Astros have been able to navigate that. And again, the ultimate example being, uh, them being able to find a, an extension agreement with Christian Javier immediately after not being able to agree on an arbitration number. Be a lot bigger number though, to get Kyle Tucker to sign. I'm thinking like 10 years, 200 million plus, or if you go shorter, then you have to up the annual value. It's just an odd process in some ways. You spend the whole season, the organization, the players, good organizations, you're rowing the boat the same way together in rhythm and all that. In salary arbitration, you try to throw, try to throw the player out of the boat. Um, and if you're the player, you have to understand it's the process. Uh, if Corbin Burns got his feelings a little bit too hurt, get over it. And the gift difference there was not even three quarters of a million, right? He's getting ten point one. He asked for ten seven five. Was Kyle Tucker? Wow, that's a, a meaningful gap there from five to seven and a half. But you go through the hearing, they're not going to say what a swell player, what a great guy, what a teammate but pay him the low figure that we're offering. Mm-hmm. Right? They have to prick the balloon to take some of the air out of the sales of, of your demand or request. So that's just the way salary arbitration works until or unless the system's ever changed. Yeah. Well, we are at the hour mark, uh, hour two, as a matter of fact. And so that brings us to the bottom line question of the week. MGM uh, has released their win totals. They have the Astros win total, the over-under at 96 and a half wins for the season. 96 and a half, guys. Are you taking the over or the under? Well, that's a, a big number in a given year when you just don't know when the injury bug is going to bite or other negative variables. Uh, the balanced schedule, in theory, should hurt the Astros a little bit. Fewer games against the uh, American League West proportionally than they've had where they've just whipped up on the division over the last several years. Well, Seattle's good and the Rangers are notably improved and the Angels are notably improved. That advantage might have actually been collapsed a little bit itself. Um, 96 and a half. There are virtually no major league seasons where no team wins at least 97 games. Well, going into this season, which team would you say is more likely to win more games than the Houston Astros? Excuse me, Houston Astros. Uh, I don't find that there may be several teams who do it, but at this point in time, power rankings and so forth, who's better than the Astros? So they can drop from 106 all the way down to 97. I'll go over. Yep. I'm going to go over as well. I don't, I think that's a really good number. I'm not expecting well over a hundred wins this season for all the reasons Charlie laid out, but uh, let's see two years ago, I bet that they would win the world series. They got there. Last year, I took the under, and I got that terribly wrong. So I'm going to take the over and get that correction taken place. I'm not going to fall for that again. I'm going to take the over. 
Yeah, I'm going to take the over as well. And I, I'd love to be the contrarian here and, and take the under. But I think the uh, amount of wins they had last year allows for regression and they'd still be uh, over at 96 and a half. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and take the over on that. But I do think that that's a great number. And that's why those odds makers are able to uh, build all those giant shiny buildings in Vegas. Why shouldn't you take the over? Because, I mean, quite frankly, it's the best team in the AL. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. So that's going to do it for episode 11 of Stone Cold Shows. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to my co-hosts, Charlie and Josh. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thank you to everyone who commented and was in the chat and engaged with the show. Again, we creep ever, ever closer to uh, opening day. We're going to continue throughout the season to do this. Thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you next week. And until then, go Strohs.